you can reevaluate the contract of all of those people who are in office right now who don't care about you as a person and only think of the people in the 18-year-old age bracket as a consumer group. You need to pay attention to what these people in office are doing to your future. Register to vote now. Howdy, folks. This is Scott Parker, and you're listening to episode number 46 of the ZappaCast. Here, as always, as in the last episode, well, as always, as in the last episode, is our uh, dynamic producer all the way from the Bay Area to you, Phil Circus. Hey, everyone. Hey, Scott. Hey, Phil. And, uh, of course, who do we have on the line today from somewhere south of him? (laughs) (laughs) It's Vaultmeister Joe once again. Hey, Hey, See, our, our most popular episodes are with Joe, so he's we keep him coming back. So how's how's things going in smoke country, gentlemen? Well, it's it's been um, it's been a little rough here uh, lately. Uh, not that it's been rough all over the place, of course, with with the current situations, but uh, it's been triple digit heat in Los Angeles, and uh, there's been fires all over the place. So you know, you put the uh, horrible heat mixed in with the smoke. And the air quality, and it's just been fairly miserable. So I've been like sleeping as much as possible throughout throughout the day when the sun is up, and then when the sun's going down, I go to Joe's Garage Studios and work until about three or four in the morning. <laughs> that's my hours <laughs> lately because I'm not drumming at all. That's for sure. You know. Do you see anybody else at Joe's Garage, or are you? Or is it just you? No, there's there's a, a person that takes care of the premises and works there, but he's during the day and I'm at night. And even if I was to go in the daytime, I'm I'm isolated because I have my own rooms that I work in, so I'm I'm uninterrupted. Oh. Well at least you get to get out of the apartment. And it's also air conditioned. I was just gonna ask, is it <laughs> yeah. air conditioning? It's so yes. important. Oh, and I wanted to say I think, Joe, that Phil has seen more Frank shows than you and I put together, I believe. Oh, that's amazing. You're so blessed. I only saw one show ever in my life. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, and it was the 88 show in Cleveland. That was the only one I ever saw. saw. I almost saw 84 in Cleveland. I was actually in Cleveland. Here's what's funny. Back in those days, you know, there was no internet. I wasn't in the know. I was young. In 1984, I was a teenager, and I wasn't really, you know, kind of like going to see a lot of concerts. I just just didn't do it. Mm. So I always went to Cleveland to visit my family and go uh, rec- doing a record store hall in Cleveland because there were such great places to go. Uh, because Cleveland is an hour and a half drive from Erie, and Erie didn't have a lot of record stores, and Cleveland had a lot of cool record stores, used record stores and stuff like that, and I would always find my hard-to-find Zappa vinyl there because you could only buy it used because it was all out of print. So it was a highlight for me to go to Cleveland every summer, save my money, and go every summer with my family, and and you know it was like that was what I would do. And literally the day that I got there in 1984, summer 84, was the night that Frank was playing, and I found out when I got there, and I was like, holy shit, Frank Zappa's playing here tonight? I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> it was sold out, too, so I couldn't go, of course, but, you know. Oh, no. 
Yeah. So yeah, almost in 84 and definitely in 88. Then. Yes. So your first show, Phil, was in 81? It was in 80, actually. 80. So yeah, I was just thinking about it right before here. It's been 40 years of me uh, being a Frank fan because I was 13, 1980, saw him at the Hartford Civic Center. Went with my older brother and some friends and sat in the cheap seats. Fall 80 band, right? Fall 80 band. Fall, Vin- fall 80, Vinny, yeah. Oh, my God. Saw 81, saw a couple shows in 84 and three shows in 88. Nice. Probably some of the same shows that you went to, Scott, at the Bushnell in Hartford. Yeah, well, I only saw the one. I only saw the second night in Hartford. I got tickets outside just after the beginning of the first song for 10 bucks. So it was it was pretty good for somebody who was 16 at the time. I took one of my friends who's a big prog head. He was a very big uh, Genesis fan. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, you know, we got through the show, you know, like, so the whole show, I obviously fucking loved it. And he, he comes out and he's like, I don't get it. And that was that was it. <laughs> <laughs> if there was one show, one year to see, I don't know, in the 80s, that could have been it, even though. They're all amazing bands, but 88 was just so mind-blowing. Oh, God, yes. But, you know, what's funny is, uh, you know, you saw the 81 band live, which was a great band, and so you you probably are pretty excited about the uh, upcoming Halloween box set this year. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, very much so. <laughs> Caught me by surprise, and all I've heard is I Am This Line, which, uh, yeah, it was very surprising. I just hadn't heard that before. Yeah, me neither. And the first time I ever heard it was um, when I was transferring the uh, 24-track multi-track tape. And that was uh, earlier this year or maybe late last year. And I remember just smiling and just (laughs) sitting back and hearing it as it was transferring, you know, for the first time. And I was going, man, this is why I love Frank so much. It's like just changing it up, making it fresh. Yep. Having fun with it, you know. Nobody's ever heard it. It's great that it's going to be heard. It's just like that's just makes it so gratifying for me. Said, you will obey me while I lead you, and eat the garbage that I feed you until the day that we don't need you. Don't go for help. No one will heed you. Your mind is totally controlled. It has been stuffed into my mold, and you will do as you. Yeah, and Chad, man, Chad. Yeah, he sounds fucking great on that. Yeah, now now the problem with Chad is is that on these tapes, not so much on the 11-1 show, the November 1st show, but on the Halloween shows, the recording engineers uh, made some uh, mistakes in their settings on the gates for the tom-toms on the uh, drum tracks. And the drum tracks were kick, snare, that's channel one and two, and then three and four was stereo tom-toms, right? And yep. then and then there was an overhead set of tracks. And every time the Chad would hit certain tom-toms, the gates would open up and it would just be like, and then they would oh, close, God. you know? And it was like, oh my God. And so that's one of the reasons why if you listen closely to the mix on the home video versions of some of uh, that footage. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. if you saw the television show of um, I Think You Are What You Is, yep. and, then there, and then there was one called Dumb All Over, right? There were two of those. And then there was the Torture Never Stops, which was the long form where the mix is different, right? But if you listen closely to those two, uh, ones that I just mentioned, you'll notice that there's no Tom Toms in the mix. 
just, <laughs> he just took him out completely. He's like, I'm not dealing with this at all. But so what we did is Craig Parker Adams, who is our uh, you know house engineer, he did some great tricky restoration so that it, you can't notice it when those gates were going on and off. And so hmm. that's one of the. Uh, you know, real kind of like um, exciting things about being able to remix this material and represent it to the world uh, because it's been corrected and it's uh, it's it's a really really good listen. Maybe that's why Frank went with an electronic kit in '84 to avoid situations where that could happen. Everything goes directly into the board that way. <laughs> Was that a Simmons kit? What was he using? Yeah, it was Simmons. Yeah, but he had he had a real bass drum and snare, right? Yeah, a real kick drum and a real snare drum, and it was a DW kick drum too. Ah, yep. So I think that was the first time that I ever saw DW a DW drum ever. Was that uh, does does humor belong in music video? Because you can see that that's a DW kick drum, and I was like, DW, what what's that? and now you're an endorser yeah now dw is the you know one of the biggest drum companies in the world and has been for a very very long time but that was like very and then when i saw chad in 88 he was playing that really beautiful uh black dw drum set and uh and that was the first time that i ever saw a full dw kit and uh i was like who what's this dw thing you know like I like I like Ludwig drums, you know. <laughs> but um so proud to be a DW endorser and be alongside Bozio and Chad, you know. <laughs> what does Vinny play for a kit these days? He's um Gretsch. He's been moving around though over the past 10 years. He went from Gretsch to Ludwig and then I had heard that he had a Yamaha kit for a minute there after Ludwig, but you know he's 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 all Gretsch now, Gretsch and Peisty. Okay, he played a Gretsch with Frank, right? Yes, he had that Tony Williams, uh, little Tony Williams kit, and uh, that kit is still alive, believe it or not. Really? And, uh, yeah, which is crazy. It's in storage at one of the um, drum storage places here in LA. I actually saw it with my own eyes. Crazy. Wow. You know you know what other kit I saw um with my own eyes hmm. was the one that Terry played in the Baby Snakes movie. Really? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is being stored at a place in Kansas uh at a drum shop called Explorers. Really? Yeah, and uh, boy, now all these people are going to go to Explorers and be like, hey, show me that Terry Bozio kit. (laughs) (laughs) Who owns those kits now? Well, I know that um, Danny Carey Mm -hmm. bought that drum set, and then he either sold it to Wes over at Explorers or he's just storing it there. I don't know what the answer to that is. Mm -hmm. But Danny Carey also bought um, the Rototom kit that Terry played in um, Missing Persons. Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, he's a Terry fetishist. He must be, yeah. I was going to ask you, in all the times we've done this, I don't think we've ever discussed Frank's drummers. 
as oh. you know, just gone through gone through the history of Frank's drummers. We should do that for another episode. That actually is a really good idea because um, we haven't spent nearly as much time on actual drum talk as we should. <laughs> it's just making me think of uh, the uh, the Mother's 1970 set. Like, in fact, a lot of the releases that have come recently of that error like really showcase Ainsley Dunbar in a way like he just explodes compared to some of the original releases you know what's funny what's what's great about that mother's 1970 set uh which we're going to talk about today right we're going to talk about that yep. set um sure is is that you know it's like yeah it really shows off Ainsley Dunbar but you know who really showed off Ainsley Dunbar was Frank because he was yeah. giving Ainsley all of this room to just play solo drums i mean if you look at how many opportunities uh, Ainsley has in those studio recordings at Trident where he just really wanted Ainsley to just play. It's pretty great. It's it's great to hear it because uh, you know Ainsley is such a such a monster, and I know that um, he was one of Frank's favorite drummers for sure. So um, I mean, he Frank loved a lot of his drummers, really, honestly. Um, he, Vinny, I mean, whew, he called Vinny the best drummer in the world. Yeah, and he and and he loved Terry too. You know, he said that Terry was just like a forerunner in um, solo construction, which is totally true. You know, like ter what Terry was doing yeah. for drum solos was, you know, raising the bar as far as drum composition was concerned and always kind of still does, you know. But yeah, so Ainsley getting some serious spotlight on that thing. I've always loved the sound that uh, Ainsley got out of that kit during that period. It's it's very, very distinctive. He's got no front head on the kick drum mm -hmm. and he's got a wood beater. So it's real clear and attacky with a single head and then his tom-toms now i might be wrong about this but i would bet a lot of money that they're calfskin heads they're genuine calfskin ah okay. so they're real warm really warm you know fuzzy attack and his tom-toms weren't single-headed they were double so the tom-toms were like standard and the kick drum had that uh, that was the thing back then is to have that damn front head removed on the kick drum and only huh. and only go single head yep. this is crazy <laughs> but yeah. the way that a lot of the live material was recorded which from what i understand wasn't that uh involved maybe just right. a couple of microphones it's an amazing sound it's so front and center and so dominant it's yeah. and, and front and center is the perfect word to say that because that's the way that frank set up the stage plot ainsley yep. was front and center you know, and 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 Frank was like stage, I guess left, stage left, and yep. the singer, the singers are stage right, and and the keyboards are in the background behind everybody. It's it was an interesting setup, but yeah, Ainsley front and center, Rivet Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that for recording purposes? Do you think Frank made that arrangement of how he set up the stage? I don't think so, because mm -hmm. I don't think it changed when they weren't recording. So I think it was just the way that he chose to be for that uh, for that setup. Because if you look at any picture or any film footage, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. from any of the shows from that year. They're all set up that way, this, the same for every show. Now that, you know, he was recording a lot of the show, so maybe it could be true that he was thinking that way. It could be, but I don't know. I don't know. I think it was just kind of part of the uh, part of the presentation of that particular lineup, I think. I mean, what I got out of the 1970 box set was I thought I knew 1970. Let's face it. I thought I knew it because I'd gone through, you know, the available recordings so many times and the Roy Thomas Baker stuff. It's mind expanding, you know, <laughs> you think, you know, Frank, and then, you know, you find out you don't know nothing. So, <laughs> well, yeah, those surprises lurk around the corner all the time, which is like, you know, one of the benefits of being a, a true Zappa fan is the discovery of this stuff is just it's almost never ending, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, giraffe alone. I mean, you know. Because we'd, we'd had, um, I think we had two recordings of Giraffe, a.k.a. Lola Stepanski. One was uh, a really crappy audience tape from June of 1970. And the other was um, the time when uh, Flo and Eddie came back in 87 for that rehearsal. And they one of the songs that they tried was Giraffe. Wow. And they remembered it. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe that. I never even knew that. I never heard that. Oh, yeah, no, it's out there. I don't know who recorded it, because I don't think Mike Keneally was around at the time. So Yeah, no, he wasn't. So I don't know who would have who would have recorded that, or if, I don't think Frank did. It's definitely somebody smuggling in a tape recorder quality, you know, kind of thing. But, um, yeah, they played... Uh, uh, I think what's the ugliest part of your body and uh, dog breath and wow. they play giraffe, which is like, and they remember it, which wow. is can't believe that the the vibe wasn't there. The it wasn't time for Flo and Eddie to rejoin in '87. I just don't think it was the right thing. You know, I think maybe they proved not they, but I think it was proven that when they were together that it just wasn't good it wasn't going to be right because man the best band you never heard in your life that's for sure you know yeah oh absolutely yeah. it just turned out to be such an amazing project and i don't know if, if flo and eddie would have been the right thing for that stuff i remember when the tour was going to happen the word leaked out that because initially what i heard was that flo and eddie were going to be part of the band but then then it didn't happen but i think that what happened happened for the best because I hate to say it, but I kind of wouldn't have wanted what wound up being Frank's last tour to necessarily be another Flo and Eddie tour as much as I love the vaudeville band. Yeah. You know? He would have made it work, you know, because that's, of course, Frank would have just put the time in to really make it work, you know? Oh, but, sure. But yeah, the what it ended up being is kind of the is kind of like, I think, the preferred... <laughs> Yeah. It's fascinating to look at what it might have been, you know, with the some rehearsals with Tommy Mars and Ray White. And, you know, 
they dropped out, but that allowed for like Mike Keneally to come into the to yeah. the fold. You know, it's like so all these are like happy accidents or just, you know. Yeah. Or fate. Yeah, fate. Yeah, that yeah, I was going to say the universe dictated that. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. I love the '88 tour, which you know we'll have to have an episode about that at uh, at some point. But yes, yes, soon, soon, very soon. (laughs) But (laughs) drum episode, '88. That's right. We got an '88. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. (laughs) I'm just going to have to be part of your staff, you guys. Yeah, just just put me put me on as part of the part of the crew. You should be. You know, so what made you decide um, 88? Because before 81 is what I meant to say. 81, Halloween, I meant. Yes. Um, what made you decide to do, because there was no Halloween shows in 88, folks. I don't know if you know. But yeah. um, <laughs> but um, what made you decide to do that? And I thought for sure you were going to do 78. Yeah. Well, that is going to happen eventually. Yeah. But there's a lot of work involved with 78 because um, – well, let me put it to you this way. Franks, uh, sometimes he would choose to make razor blade edits on the actual master tapes. Yes. Like the the 24-track tapes. Yeah. And so he did that because he didn't really like tape generation loss, you know? I mean, like, I would have preferred that he mixed the stuff down and then did his crafty editing, but instead he wanted to do editing on the actual masters. And so what that means is that the, the tapes are just in a disarray of, of just shit all over the place. And so in order mm-hmm. to, for us to present full shows, which is something that Frank wasn't interested in, but, you know, that's some of the things that, you know, we know that there's a market out there for people that really appreciate full shows, and it's very historical to present it that way. So um, the 78 tapes are just everywhere. They are just everywhere. And so in order for me to uh, get them all in proper sequence, I have to do the same process that I did for the Zappa in New York 40th uh, anniversary project, (laughs) which took me a year just to do that. So the 78 one is going to take a lot of time. And I have already started, but it's going to take a lot of time. The 81 tapes uh, were not like that. And it was a little bit easier of uh, from a production standpoint, although you know uh, we had to invest a bit in um, the restoration aspect of it, like I told you. Yep. But other than that, it was just a little bit easier to put together. And it's going to come out anyway, whether we do seventy eight or eighty one. It doesn't matter because they were, you know, we, they got to come out no matter what. So we oh, just it's thought, all Halloween. Yeah, yeah, it's all Halloween. So we just said, you know what? Let's do eighty one this year. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be great. And I'll be able to actually make it happen quicker because yep. it's not so much work. So, um, yeah, that's probably one of the main reasons why we chose 81. Happy Halloween, everybody. Ah, nice record. Well, in case you didn't know, this is being broadcast live via satellite on MTV with a simulcast on Starfleet Radio. Hello there. You mentioned Chad's Toms. Were there any other uh, technical stuff that you were just like, how are we going to get through this? No, that believe it or not, that was it. Um, the 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 engineer was Mark Pinsky, and mm-hmm. you know he yep. he's a talented guy, and uh, you know did a pretty good job. And also um, Tom Ale Ale A E I forget I think that's how you say his name his last name, but his nickname was Coach. 
Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. were the two guys that were that were responsible for a lot of the tapes on the '81 tour and and the '82 tour. So yeah, other than that, it's 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 totally cool. Uh, that was the only real problem was the uh, gates that had you know some mysterious settings. Uh, but yeah. on the Tom Toms, but yeah, no. So we were able to remix completely from scratch, and um, that's kind of like one of the things about the um, Halloween box sets that are uh, really special is that you know obviously Frank released what he liked from a lot of this stuff, you know. So in order to represent, that's what it, kind of like when I a word <laughs> I don't know if that yes. word works, but but to represent the stuff to the public again, especially for the hardcores. That it's good to have a fresh perspective from yep. it and try to s- stick with what we do when we do these projects is we, we, we try not to get too far in production world and we just kind of show off what's on the tape and not have like an agenda. Because Frank is really the one who produced the tapes. You know, he's the ones that told them this is how I want it to be. And so they would basically just do what he wanted. And so, uh, so we just kind of like try to reflect what's there and not turn it into a record project, you know, like a full blown thingamajig. We just kind of, we just kind of do a really nice historical representation of what was documented on the tapes. That's really the approach. And I think it works that way without getting, you know, like, you know, like in other words, like if somebody buys it, they're not going to be like, man, Mm -hmm. what's up with Travers and Craig Parker Adams just having their way with the tapes. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) that's really not happening. That brings up something interesting that I think about, because if you listen to some of Frank's mixes from the 80s and then you hear some audience tapes, you definitely know that Frank applied some in the studio, some tones to his guitar or stuff that sounded like it was applied after Post. the fact. Yeah, absolutely. Post. Yeah, definitely. To be honest, I look forward to uh, an 88, a new 88 <laughs> set because of... Um, trying to wend my way through so much, you know, chorus on some of the things on the 88 discs. I think it's really cool that you just kind of present what you find on tape and just try to make that sound as good as possible. Exactly. That's that's the approach. Now, as far as the 88 stuff, I mean, you know, Scott used a chorus pedal on his bass a lot. Yep. And and so that that's really kind of a part of his tone and yeah. we can't we can't take that away. Oh, and sure. I think and I think it really works. But Frank was using a, a Roland GP8 for a lot of the tones that he was getting on his guitar, mm-hmm. like the real glassy tone that he has and uh, and stuff like that. Dweezil was the one who did a lot of the sound design actually for those for those patches on that GP8. Oh, little wow. side, side note there, but um, yeah, so a lot of the stuff went to tape that way. So you okay. know you can't you can't really change too much of that. But one of the things about the '88 mixes and the '88 records that we are so fond of is that you know Bob Stone mixed that stuff, yep. and mm-hmm. boy, they were a, they were a fan of um, high end. Yeah, they were, and, and you know you had a lot of horns that needed to cut through the mix, mm-hmm. and um, so they were they were just and a lot of processing. You know, a lot of a lot of you know. Uh, lexicon reverb type stuff and and processing and high end and not a lot of bottom end and it works for 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 what those are for what those records are but um yeah the approach 
is going to be the same if, if and when we ever do get to an 88 thing, which is to just really show off what's there and make it, you know, robust and, and modern, but, but not um, taking away from the original intent of what Frank wanted when he wanted that stuff recorded. So. Yeah, because you have a lot to work with in terms of the instrumentation in the band, and there's a lot of considerations that you have to, you know, keep in mind when you're mixing that stuff, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Band. There's such an evolution of uh, Scott's bass sound alone going from 88 <laughs> to 82 to 84 yeah. to 88. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what an amazing player. And yeah, oh my what, goodness. Sure. And I just love his contribution to the music. I love what he says on the bass when he plays that music. It's just great. It really is. It's just, it's, it's, it's really special what he does. such a, a soft spot in my heart for like the 80s bands that I saw. And so when I went to the Whiskey last August yeah, and saw Scott play the bass and, per, you know, again, it's amazing. All of you guys on stage were just giving us magic. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, playing with Scott is a whole other world. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'm so grateful that Scott can be Scott with me playing the drums behind him. That's just a godsend because if it wasn't that way it would be hell on earth you know (laughs) (laughs) but you know i'm so blessed at 52 years of age to be able to be able to play this music with him number one and number two uh i know that he enjoys playing with me now which is something that is just like (laughs) i'd rather it be that way than any other way believe me so um no was it that way in z no no it wasn't my playing was different then. My attitude was different then, and and I want you know I was just so young and so hungry and rock star oriented in my mind. Yeah. It was, it was and, the nineties. Uh, we all did things. Yeah, in the 90s. it was all the night. It was the nineties, and you know Scott and and Mike had been through the Zappa filter for so long. It's like they were in a whole other place. Yep. And uh, and I wasn't there. You know, I just wasn't there. So it really got under Scott's skin. But I, I would let him. <laughs> I would let him talk about that. You, know? <laughs> you guys at the Whiskey Show, and I'm sure, Scott, when you saw the Hologram Tour, yep. there just seems like a, a great camaraderie on stage. I mean, that's so palpable. Like, everyone's yes. having such a fun time playing this music. Thank God. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. the one thing about that band that is really special is that all those guys... Uh, with the exception of me, who I'm just kind of sitting in the background and and playing my ass off and trying to make sure that uh, that that band morale kind of almost stays the same. But I really don't have to try too hard because those guys all love each other and they love the music, too. And so that is what comes across when people watch us play. Because they know that here's some guys that are the guys, mm-hmm. and they and they're happy being the guys, yeah. 
and they're happy playing this music. And that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. The, pre the presentation just comes from that uh, angle, and the people feel it. So it's, it's great. The phrase that I used when I saw the first uh, the rehearsal show was uh, war buddies. They seemed like war buddies out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could feel it, you know. Unfortunately, Edman has is he officially not going to do the tour if you tour next year? No, he won't be doing it. You know, he's he's in Colorado and it was hard for us to have Ed be a part of these West Coast things that we're talking about, you know, that we did that Phil saw. Yeah. Because, because it was just it, it was it was so expensive to get him out here and to put him up and and to, you know, where everybody else in the band is is fairly local. I mean, you know, uh, Ray lives in Vegas, but that's not far. It's a five hour drive, you mm -hmm. know. And everybody else is is fairly uh, close to Los Angeles, so it it totally made sense. And it didn't make sense for Ed, unfortunately. So that was just just the way that uh, that worked out. And then it just kind of it just kind of stayed that way when we decided that we were going to do this King Crimson thing. That's all. Which is kind of that's just kind of how it ended up ended up. So it's kind of going on a tour by tour basis now in terms of who's going to be, you know, assuming that the band stays together and continues to tour, say like you know do summer tours or something. It's just it could theoretically change every year or something like that. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that this unit right now is is pretty much going to be it unless uh, someone's either not interested in doing it any longer mm. or, uh, or uh, you know, or something happens and uh, they're dead. <laughs> Let's hope that yeah. that doesn't happen. <laughs> no COVID. No COVID. No COVID. No COVID. <laughs> not even Ray White. <laughs> no, not even um, Ray White. He gave exactly. us a scare. He, he us did a give scare. us a scare. Yeah, quite a scare. I know. I, I I just was like, Ray, what are the symptoms, bro? Like, don't go there yet until you know for sure, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, we're glad. We're very glad that Ray is okay because, boy, does he have the voice of an angel still. Still. And he's, and he's also an angel of a person. He's just an absolutely yeah. beautiful spirit. And and all those guys uh, are are really... A pleasure to be around and if it wasn't like that then we wouldn't be interested in being around each other you know but honestly it's like there's a lot of love there's a lot of love for the music and and it's a great opportunity for these guys to actually play it again and thanks to yeah. Amit really because Amit's the one that's been the whole motivator behind getting us together and giving us these opportunities to do this stuff so mm -hmm. it's just been a blessing and, and for me it's like I'm almost living like the ultimate, the <laughs> ultimate Zappa fan life. <laughs> oh, if you, th you really if you are. Think about it, if you think <laughs> about it, because, you know, one minute I'm like, you know, transferring 24 track tapes and hearing unreleased versions and arrangements of I'm the Slime that are amazing. And then mm -hmm. the next, I'm like literally on stage playing this fucking music with these guys. It's like, wow, <laughs> mind blower. <laughs> Getting back to the Halloween 81 box set for a second, one of the things that's really cool about the box set is that we get to hear now alternate performances of songs like Alien Orifice and Drowning Witch and Sinister Footwear 2 and um, another version of Stevie Spanking because for the longest time we've always heard just kind of like that one chosen one. You know, that's been on various releases throughout the years. But now we're starting to get into the opportunities to hear some of our favorite tunes 
but different versions. What else was mind blowing for you besides I'm the Slime? Definitely, definitely hearing Drowning Witch is, mm. is really fun. There's a ship arriving too late to save a drowning witch. She was swimming along, trying to keep a date with a merchant marine. I told her he was really rich, but it doesn't matter no more. She's on the ocean floor, and the water's all green down there. And it's not very clean down there. And water snakes and rusty wrecks. Um, Sinister Footwear 2 is 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 a, a special song. What's new in oh um, What's new in Baltimore was at that time not called that. It was Mystery Studio song. That's right. And the and the arrangement is earlier than when there was um, vocals in the song. So you get to hear kind of like I guess the earliest version of this song with in, in the box set. So that's really cool too. Was that an official title? Mystery studio song is what it went by. Yeah. Huh. I always thought that was something somebody made up, but it, it has appeared on um, recordings from rehearsals and stuff like that. So I didn't know. No, yeah. You actually, you actually, in the rehearsal, you can hear Frank refer to it as studio song. You hear him say studio song. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so early, early version of it, which is cool. Early arrangement. I have to go back now and and watch the uh, live MTV Halloween, uh, you know, the the mix. And I have to check out the mix on that um, video because now I want to know how they handled the toms. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not like that in Torture Never Stops. They actually worked on it for Torture Never Stops DVD. Yeah. So that that hour in what is it, hour and forty minutes or whatever it is, that or fifty-two minutes, almost two hours of stuff, that that's a different mix. But the things that were made for early home video that were also shown on like remember our beloved shows like Night Flight. Remember oh yeah, yep, on USA. So great, yeah. But um, so the Dumb All Over special, I think, and the You Are What You Is special, which I think are like hour-long edits, mm -hmm. I think that those have the real super phasey guitar sound, right? Like the overly phased-out guitar. Yes. And, and the tom-toms are just like non-existent. What, is that phase on the on the multis or is it? No, no, it's oh, not. That's, Thank that's God. Post. Oh yeah, I was going to say, God. boy, did he drown that Les Paul in that? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I mean, for television, you know, for listen, for people that were watching it uh, through a little mono TV speaker, it was psychedelic, man. Yeah, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you should have actually. Uh, speaking of the MTV broadcast, you should probably have. Um, Dedicated the box to Nina Blackwood, who uh, <laughs> <laughs> who made the terrible mistake of trying to be Frank's friend, and uh, <laughs> I know, I know, didn't go well. Did I know. Well. I'm Frank Zappa, and right. this is uh, Nina Blackwood from Bob. MTV. Who's this? That leaves me as myself. This Sam, is Sam Copper. Copper. That's and me. I'm very special too. Better give me the mic back. They're EQ okay. different. Okay. All right. You know, um, Frank. You, 
happen to like Halloween very much like I do. Yeah. What does Halloween mean to you? This is a heavy question. You have question. to understand this, that Halloween in New York City is very important because this is the only city in the United States where the audience has stayed up with what we do. Poor Nina. They, actually, Alex Winter should have uh, included that in the documentary, although I don't know that he didn't because I haven't actually seen it, but... Yeah, well, soon you will, and I can't wait because it's just, it's so well done. I am so excited for that film to hit the masses, man. It's just so well done, and here's what I say about that. It's like there's going to be a, a large movement in the force when, yeah. <laughs> when that movie comes out. I keep waiting for, um, you know, mind-blowing, you know, footage that we've never, you know, we didn't even know existed and all that stuff, and I know some of that stuff is in there. How long is the film? Do you remember? Oh, I think it's like, it's a little over two hours. Oh, nice. yeah. And how about the extras on the, on the Blu-ray when that comes out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we could definitely go haywire with all that type of stuff. It just depends on, uh, we haven't even talked about anything like that. I don't think. The soundtrack, has that, did I see in one of his updates that that was completed? Yes. There is, uh, there is going to be multiple versions of it. There's going to be an exclusive one for the Kickstarter people. Yeah. And uh, that was a lot of fun to make. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's... A vinyl one, right? Yes, vinyl. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I'm excited. <laughs> it's beautiful. For the vinyl lovers out there, uh, you, will be, you will be happy. COVID kind of uh, paused uh, vinyl releases too, huh? No, it didn't pause our vinyl releases. Uh, it just so happens that a lot of the projects that we focused on for 2020 just didn't include vinyl. Yeah. And and we didn't go into the world of um, vinyl reissues too much this year. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to. We've got Record Store Day happening and we're doing the um, You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore sampler Yep. on uh, red and yellow transparent vinyl, which is really pretty. <laughs> Super pretty. Um and 180 grams, so it's 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 well done. And what's really cool about that is Bernie Grunman, who was the original guy who mastered the first one in 88, he mastered it again for uh, 2020. So that was nice that, you know, we can continue to use the legend. Yes. The man, you know, the man. Um, but, no, we're, we've got stuff planned for next year uh, when, for, for the vinyl world. So it's uh, it's not dead. It's uh, it's still it's still happening. It's just that this year didn't really have uh, too many opportunities to 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 do it. I could be cheesy and say it's not dead. It doesn't even smell funny. But it's my, know, it doesn't even smell funny. Cheesy. But, we were all yeah. thinking it. I'm glad you said. It. <laughs> yeah. Somebody had to. <laughs> but actually, all of your 50th anniversary releases for this year had been done before. Burnt Weenie, Weasels, Chungas. You know, those right. were all out. So in terms of your 50th anniversary releases, now all we need is the uh, the record plant sessions from 1970. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's a bunch of stuff that we could do, and and I'm it's not like any of that has fallen has gone lost in my mind. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's it's I, I know I'm well aware of uh, what people want and mm -hmm. and what and what we want to do too. So um, don't worry, I got your back. For <laughs> <laughs> that, folks, he's always watching. <laughs> Which reminds me, because I was asked to ask, and we've talked about this before, but 200 motels. Yep. If you were going to do a re-release of it, is that possible without working out 
I don't even know who owns it now. I mean, is United Artists a thing anymore? Well, if we were going to re reissue the original record, no, it's it's it, it is impossible for us to do it without licensing it or working with the people who own it, which yeah. is MGM, right? So whoever MGM is with these days, United Artists, it came out on originally, right? Yep. So you know, if we would have to do a licensing thing, and but we have unbelievable amounts of stuff in the vault that we can do for an anniversary issue for that. Really? Yeah, there's just oh god. So um <laughs> so yeah, it's that that's very exciting. I mean, I can't really uh you know give you too many details about No, sure. uh what's what's going to be happening next year, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff and it's all amazing. All of it is amazing. So yeah, I'm excited. It, we'll be doing, believe me, guys, we're going to be doing, <laughs> we're going to be doing some podcasts next year for yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm telling you, you need to put me on staff. I, I, I'm happy. <laughs> if you want to be on staff, you're officially on staff. I have a question for Joe because I don't think there was a Zappa cast on the Mother's 1970s set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's I, what this one was supposed to be. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Damn COVID. So it's, it's an amazing set. We talked about it a little bit. I was just wondering how it came about. I know it's the 50th anniversary of that band, but like, yeah. did you come across some tapes and go, oh my God, we have to do this right now? Or Well, I, had been, I have been coming across tapes for years, right? So when we had our production meeting for 2020 and we decided, well, what, what are the things that we're going to do? What are the significant uh, anniversaries? What are the projects that we want to agree on, on working on? The formation of the Flow and Eddie band was something that we had talked about. And it was like, okay, listen, I could, I could definitely put together a, a, a nice representation of that band and and stuff that nobody's ever heard from the vault. I just knew that I had the the materials to do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know exactly how it was going to be sequenced, but I knew that I had the stuff because I had I had previously uh, documented it and and all that stuff. So, um, so that was agreed upon by the trust that that would be something that we would like that they would like to have happen. And so I went into the laboratory and started getting busy, <laughs> and 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 that's what came out. I had only learned of the existence of a song called Red Tubular Lighter last year when that document emerged, which was, um, if you don't know, Phil, there was a document that um, somebody was selling on eBay that had a track list for the, um, I think it would have been. History and Collected Improvisations box, right? Yeah, the 1972 mm -hmm. version. And one of the tracks, you know, we got to see um, a number of titles. But, you know, these were all things that I never thought we would hear. And then the next year, here comes Red Tubular Lighter, which is just a fucking mind-blowing track. Right. Yes. <laughs> and that's just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I found that track very early on in my vaultmeistering days. Um, that was one of the very first uh, build reels that I ever documented and played and and I heard Red Tubular Lighter for the first time and I was like, oh my God, this is so rad. But I had no idea where it came from. I had no clue until I 
transferred the original 16 track um, uh, Trident reels. Yeah. Then, because it was it was just listed as item one, and then there's item two, item three. There was these items, and you know, unless you play the tape, you know, you don't know what the items are. And um, so, item one ended up being red tubular lighter. And when oh. I transferred the 16 track, I was like, "Oh, that's what that is." Oh, okay. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, red tubular lighter is so rad. And the the full title of that song is, "Have you seen my red tubular lighter, David?" <laughs> no idea who David is, nope. but uh, yeah. So yeah, that's the uh, that's the story behind. Oh, that's <laughs> the Red uh, Tubular Lighter. You know that that whole disc is just so full of uh, of secrets. You might say. Well, one of the things that's really special about that is the um, version of Wonderful Wino with with Frank singing on it. Yep. Wasted my head on three quarts of juice. And now the grapes won't cut me loose. Those are those those are wiped. Those 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 stems, those original tracks were mm. wiped in favor of the Ricky Lancelotti overdubs that happened in 73. Yep. So Frank literally recorded over his performances because he didn't care about it. And the only thing that survived were these rough mix reels, these rough mix two-track reels. And um, so had those not existed, we would have never heard what that version would, sa- would have sounded like with Frank singing it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's like a total gold, like a diamond in the rough kind of thing, you know, like the, yeah. little, the, littering, the little glimmering uh, sliver of gold in the rock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you had, of course, the, the VPRO stuff, and it never sounded better than that, and... Oh, cool. I didn't know cool. that that stuff was even in the vault. Yeah, I found it um, probably like maybe within the last 10 years I found it. And I just I transferred it and just kind of let it sit uh, for the right opportunity because I know that that's something that had been uh, exploited over the years by the bootleggers. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like high on the priority list. But when putting together the box set, I really tried to grab everything that I could that was usable. And um, it's nice to see an official release of that music, you know? Yeah. And I love the stuff on disc four. Disc four has all that really special, like, stuff that Frank was recording on his own machine. It was really hard, though, to, to because most of the performances that were captured by Frank, you can't hear the vocals. The, the music is so loud on stage that it just it was just too loud. The ambience was too loud, and, it, and the vocals just didn't cut through. But it was different in every show, so I had to pick from the shows that had the most audible uh, vocals. But most of the instrumental stuff is totally releasable. So. Yeah. I chose the stuff that Frank chose that he kind of set aside on build reels.
I think that 1970, uh, the mother's 1970, is up there with Hot Rats in terms of its import, you know, in this sort of audio documentary stuff. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a very, very hugely important release. And I'm glad that this band is getting its due because when I was growing up as a Zappa fan, that particular lineup was very much maligned. Like a lot of the original MOI fan guys that I knew were still around at the time. And um, they really didn't like Flo and Eddie that much, which I guess goes back to when Flo and Eddie were in the band. Um, They still went to the shows, of course, and they did all that stuff. But um, for some reason, that band tended to be more maligned than... um, than other lineups, but maybe it's because the original MOI cast such a huge shadow over those uh, first couple of years without them. I could mm. be wrong, but that's, that's what I remember as a Zappa fan growing up. Mm. Well, now that we can look back on what that, what that band did and even the 71 band, of course, with Jim Pons and Bob Harris and Don Preston or whatever. Great band. Listen, Flo and Eddie are fucking amazing. Yes. And I don't care what anybody says, no matter if they, you know, if they have a tendency to lean towards the original mothers or lean towards the mid seventies or, or really enjoy what, you know, the baby snakes band was doing or whatever, you know, whatever their favorite periods are, you can't deny how amazing Flo and Eddie were. And I'll tell you, when you listen to Carnegie hall, and if you listen to Billy the Mountain right. and where Billy the Mountain, where Billy the Mountain was near the end of that, that that whole thing where they're doing that, you know what I'm talking about, right, Phil? That that whole That's thing. Like, yeah, it, it sounds humanly impossible. Yeah. They do it. One hand, two ducks, three squawking geese, four them are cloistered. Five corpulent tortoises, six pairs of Donald Bears, those weeds. Seven thousand Macedonians in full battle array. Eight rounds, monkeys from the ancient sacred crypts of Egypt. Nine apathetic, sympathetic, diabetic old men on roller skates with a marked propensity toward procrastination and saw ten. You got the pencil. I got the you know that whole thing, yeah. and then they yeah. just go off, and it's. Like it's like the twelve days of Christmas on friggin' uh, speed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and steroids, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and it's just unbelievable. Every time I listen to that, I shake my head. Like those guys, they. I mean, Mark Volman, mm. Howard Kalen. Howard Kalen is a is an unbelievable talent. He's just, uh, I just love his voice. He's incredibly witty. Almost as witty as Frank. I mean, those guys were like neck and neck as far as wit was concerned. Yeah. And yeah. and Frank just loved their contribution on stage and how funny they were and the personalities and all that stuff. And I think that the Mother's 1970, if it's important, it's because it's showing off that strength. It's showing off what that band could do and how amazing those two guys really were and their contribution to that music. And yeah, Mark and Howard... I mean, when it was their time, they were unbelievable. And I could never, ever, ever imagine 200 Motels without them. Never. No. Hell no. I don't, think, I don't think 200 Motels would have even been half as good. I mean, I, listen, I love that music and the orchestral music and all that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But without Mark and Howard, I mean, what could that movie have been? I mean, really, that, those two guys are just... They were like muses for Frank. You yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah, just I, I agree so so impressive and so uh, inspiring. Now for uh, the younger generations to hear that stuff, I mean, if I I would love to put together a band that only did Mark and Howard stuff. 
I would like to find two singers that could have the range and the talent that those two guys had and only do that stuff. You know, I want to go out and play Mystery Roach live and I want to do the yeah. whole I want to do the whole shove it in medley live with those oh, guys, yeah. you know. <laughs> I want to do the whole thing. I, I, that shit is awesome. <laughs> Joe, have you heard every single tape in the vault at this point or are there still tapes that you haven't even dug into yet? Yeah, no, there's still there's still tapes I haven't dug into yet. There's oh my just, goodness. There's too many. <laughs> yeah, there's too many. <laughs> How is that possible? I know. Well, oh, it's possible. <laughs> there's a lot of live stuff in there. So I've never listened to every single live show that's been documented. Sure, sure. Um, and as far as like the work reels, like the the mixes and and uh, stuff like that, um, I'm getting pretty I'm getting pretty deep into those now. But the multi-track reels of all the live shows and stuff, there's a lot still to be discovered there. <laughs> I don't know if you've covered it in the past Zappacast about the possible release of the uh, 10th anniversary tour. Oh, sure. No, that's that's absolutely a possibility. And in fact, uh, I'm excited about those tapes because the arrangements of the stuff were unique. Yes. And uh, the, the addition of um, Walt Fowler to the band yep. is a big deal. And uh, that was the last tour where the double drum thing happened. And they both were playing Ludwig Octoplus drum sets. The big yeah. ones, the real yeah. big kits. So, yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some sick shit going on in there. And I, yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to get to those tapes. Yeah, no, no definitely that's something that will happen. I and mean, that, that's what hearing I'm the Slime reminded me of is like totally off-the-wall arrangements that I never knew existed. Yes, yes. No, I, I, I see a lot of people talking about the Edinburgh show yeah. and how a lot of people want that. And um, so, yeah, no, I know. And, you know, another strong contender is the Mother's Day show in Chicago. Yeah. That's 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 a that's a real yeah. strong contender too. Um, so those shows are all on four track, and um, I think Brian Crocus was the engineer on that stuff. So, yeah, there are still so many things that we could do. It's just like God bless him for recording everything and switching things up and taking advantage of the personnel and all that stuff. Man, it's just it's mm. just unbelievable. <laughs> ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast, is made in cooperation with the Zappa Trust. For everything Frank Zappa, including this show, visit Zappa.com. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at, at Zappa. ZappaCast was created by and it's hosted by Scott Parker. Our producer is Phil Circus. Special thanks to everyone at the Zappa Trust and Zappa.com. This podcast and all the musical selections contained therein are copyrighted worldwide by the Zappa Trust. All rights reserved. And until next time. Good night, boys and girls. The first part of the show is going to be some songs that we rehearsed this afternoon that aren't normally part of what we've been doing on this tour. These are older songs. And as you can see from the way Zootalores turned out, the stuff is a little shaky, but what the fuck? So, let me introduce you to everybody and we'll get on with it.